Have you ever longed for a five-star sleeping experience right in your own bedroom? Hey, it's Bill Bennett. I want you to discover the secret to luxurious sleep with Cozy Earth's bamboo sheet set. It was endorsed as one of Oprah's favorite things in 2018. Now, please excuse the superlatives, but they're deserved. Cozy Earth's responsibly sourced temperature-regulating bamboo viscose bedding is a game changer. Our bedroom now feels like a lavish retreat with Cozy Earth's comprehensive collection. It's not just sheets, folks. It's also pillows and blankets. And each night that you lie on these is a kind of regal invite into a kind of kingdom of comfort. See the superlatives? One almost feels wrapped in style every night, making each sleep a five-star experience. Mrs. Bennett Elaine agrees as well. The comfort of Cozy Earth's responsibly sourced bedding is, in our experience, unparalleled. It's a blend of classic charm and modern luxury. So don't just sleep. Indulge in a realm of comfort with Cozy Earth's premium bedding collection. Now, here's a special treat. Cozy Earth is offering an exclusive discount for my listeners today. Get up to 40% off site-wide when you use the code BILLBENNETT at CozyEarth.com. That's discount code Bill Bennett. Please come explore CozyEarth.com for the latest in betting and use the code Bill Bennett. Okay, well, welcome to the last show of the year 2023. Right. It's the Bill Bennett Show. We have thoughtful conversation about the news of the day, and we address the existential threats to America. And there are plenty, believe me. Uh, joining me today, not only Claude Jennings, who you just heard, hi, Claude. Dr. Bennett, how are you, sir? Good. Brian Kennedy is also joining. Yes. Um, and uh, he is president of the American Strategy Group. He's also the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Joel Farkas is the director of the American Strategy Group, and I'm a fellow at the American Strategy Group in Washington. So a lot of American Strategy Groupers for you all today. Uh, first, a few things I'd like to discuss. Uh, it's been an interesting year, depressing year, frankly, folks. Uh, 2023, didn't like it. Didn't like the way that Biden took the country, the direction of the country. That border remains uh, porous. Uh, lack confidence in this president. Uh, inflation, of course, continues. Uh, we were at war, though Americans may not know it. Iranians think we're at war with them. And, of course, Israel will talk about that. We welcome your thoughts about the year 2023. Claude, who should, uh, how should people get in touch with us to give us their reflections on 2023? Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. And not just reflections on 2023, maybe even add in a little bit of what you're looking forward to in, in 2024, what you think 2024 holds, and um, maybe add some optimism. Like, what, what's making... What's making you hopeful yeah. about the yeah, new year? If, if, Bill, if Bill is not optimistic, maybe you can be. Right. Uh, yeah, well, let's let's find out. I, I want to. I, I would like some reasons for optimism. I just, you know, no matter where I look, um, I just, you know, this country was humming along pretty well in uh, 2016 to 2020. And then, man, I don't know. Just uh, we put it in reverse. Biden did everything wrong. Seems to me if Trump did it, he did the opposite. And now they're trying to, you know, arrest him, charge him, arrest him, put him in jail. Some states are barring him from being on the ballot. I wonder what's going to happen there. Isn't that unbelievable? Isn't that yeah. crazy? Maybe the Democrat, maybe the liberal uh, move for the 2024 election isn't to cheat. It's just to leave Trump off the ballot altogether. Yeah, no, I know. 
No, we were saying, what what do they have in mind next, right? Right. Yeah, well, here you go. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. All right, let's welcome Brian Kennedy and Joel Farkas to the show. Welcome back, gentlemen. 2023, 2023, gentlemen, uh, the year that has passed. And where are we today? Let's start at home. State of Maine has said that they uh, are not going to have Donald Trump on the ballot. That makes two states at least. Are there others? I don't know. Colorado and Maine. So I wondered what the dirty tricks were. Here we go. Why do people have the confidence, gentlemen, that the Supreme Court will just, uh, with a brush of a hand, wave these away? They didn't uh, act in 2020. Well, they might not, Bill. They might not uh, brush these away, but they should brush them away because they're utterly ridiculous. In the case of Maine, this is the unilateral decision of a Democratic, you know, Secretary of State, election official, what have you, to just decide unilaterally that President Trump violated the 14th Amendment and that he committed insurrection. That is her unilateral judgment without any due process, given the fact that President Trump wasn't never, never uh, indicted on or convicted on or tried on the idea that he committed insurrection. And so that is on its face just patently absurd. And I think I, I think the Supreme Court will throw these things out. But it looks more to me like the auditioning of these Democratic hacks for some future Democrat administration for them to show their bona fides as radical leftists and standing up as if it took any courage whatsoever against Donald Trump, the political figure who every time they do this merely gains in popularity. Yeah, I don't I don't care what their motivation is. What I care about is that it's happening. And do you agree with me? The Supreme Court may, I mean, you did. You said that they may not uh, brush this away. They didn't in 2020. And they should have, right? Shouldn't uh, the court have yes, done something absolutely. in the case of Pennsylvania where I, I think there was a violation of the Constitution, if I'm co- correctly remembering the um Constitution says legislator picked the electors, but Pennsylvania, the judges did Isn't that right. Right. Yeah, that, no, that that's right. That, But that was a case of the Supreme Court being pure cowardice. They did not want to insert themselves in, in the middle of an election and they should have. And so Trump and a lot of you know Trump supporters thought it was black letter of the law that there were elections violations going on all across the country. And when it came right down to it, this vaunted legal system of ours that is supposed to be the envy of the world didn't do its job, ran away yep. from its job at every turn. And so what, what we're witnessing today is a failure of the American regime to defend in any reasonable way its constitutional order. And that's got that's got to change in 2024, where the country is headed for a very bad outcome, in my opinion. Joel? In business, we always have um, calls with uh, with different parties, um, buyers and sellers, and each party has a bunch of lawyers. And um, it comes down to a lo- lengthy discussion on the legal process. And ultimately, I normally end the conversation with, now that we've been given a dictatorial treatise on the law, there is a business practical decision to be made. And when anybody is being lectured by lawyers, by judges, by courts, instinctively, viscerally, they know that's absurd. So everything that you and Brian just said is factually correct, but instinctively, people who don't know and care or spend much time on legal issues know 
it's a bad thing. And quite frankly, Donald Trump will be saying, please, each and every week, accuse me of something I haven't been charged with, convicted of, uh, uh, proved, had any due process. Please do it each and every week, because most of the population and the free society of this free country, to the extent it's even free any longer, knows that's a bad idea. It is. It, it's um, uh, what you and what, Bill, what you and Brian just said is factually correct. But people instinctively know this is absurd without even having any kind of education on the law. Yeah, I think that I think that that's absolutely right, Joel. I, I think the concern should be, and you could see how you responded in your business meetings. That the law has done a lot to discredit itself, hasn't it? In all it, this, it's it, when, when you're in a from a, again from a business standpoint, you'll have um, you know a half a dozen lawyers. You'll have a two hour call. That's about a twenty five thousand dollar call to, to to do wow. what? To do what? To be told what each side believes the statute says, and then when you ask them, okay, that's your opinion. Um, can you assert and give me an affirmative? recommendation that that opinion will hold, they'll say, no, I cannot. It's subject to the courts. It's subject to appeal. I mean, I didn't want to go to law school. And no, most people don't. But that's what we have. And that's what and now we're seeing it. That's it. That happens in business each and every day. Now we're seeing it in the electoral process. And we're seeing it by um, by by secretaries of state in obscure locations who probably didn't get more than twenty-five to 35,000 votes determining who will be on a ballot to be elected president. Yeah, yeah, it's extraordinary. It really is extraordinary. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's go to the world, the rest of the world. Where are we? Let's, let's go back. Um, let's go back. Uh, we, we can come back to the election stuff at the end here. But um, let's go back to Israel. How fair is Israel right now? When you say fair, what do you mean, Bill? How's it doing? I think it's it's doing its job right now, and it's not concerned too much about world public opinion, which mm-hmm. they know is against them, was against them yesterday, will be against them today and tomorrow and next week and, you know, for years to come. And I think they're doing their job to root out the evil that is the Muslim Brotherhood in their country and in their territories. And it's a tough job, but I think they're doing it. They're asking for help from no one. And uh, I think a lot of people around the world pray they're successful because the Sharia supremacist belief that the West can be destroyed must itself be destroyed. And Israel right now is a big part of that. I mean, if they have to expand the war vis-a-vis, you know, Iran, I think they're prepared to do that. So in terms of resolve and capability, I think Israel is there. And I think the shameful thing is that in our country, the amount of ignorance about the danger and threat of radical Islam, Sharia supremacism, whatever you want to call it, to our country, as well as Western civilization, inadequately understood. So you said resolve and capability, I think you said. They they are capable of defending themselves against Hezbollah, Hamas, who knows who else might join in this fight against them. Well, it won't be a cakewalk, right? Yeah, no. But as as we know, in a lot of military conflicts, resolve is a big part of it. We could have ended the Vietnam War in a day. We did. We didn't have yeah. the resolve. Yeah. Israel is fighting two wars: world public opinion and the battle yeah. 
against Sharia supremacism as um, Islamist um, hate towards Jews. That, those are the two wars. Israel is not going to win decisively or maybe at all the world public opinion. Israel will win the war to defend itself and root out those who want to kill it. That's their job. They will do it. Their resolve will be to survive. There's 17 million Jews in a world of 18, eight, um, excuse me, 8 billion people. There isn't world public opinion around 17 million Jews. There's not going to be. Most of them live in two countries, the United States and Israel. Most countries in the world don't have any Jews at all. So if the discussion is about world public opinion, Israel's not going to win it. If the discussion is to survive and to prosper and to flourish, Israel and Jews, Israel for 70 plus years and Jews for 3,700 years have prospered and flourished. Jews will win. All right. So that's exactly what I wanted to pick up on, uh, Joel and Brian. As Brian said, there uh, there are a lot of people around the world who are very sympathetic to uh, Israel, but not, if you will, the official world, right? I mean, there may be a lot of individuals, but the establishment, uh, you know, the the UN, the, the various world organizations are not sympathetic uh, to Israel. Um, so they won't win that battle for public opinion. Nevertheless, you say they will prevail again because of resolve and capability. As I'm looking at it, guys can educate me further. It looks to me like two fronts, the northern front with um, Hezbollah and then uh, to the west, Hamas. Is there another faction, group, country, uh, or two or three or four more? Yes. uh, uh, That might enter explicitly and directly. I mean, the Iranians have shown no hesitation to take on the U.S. Uh, Why wouldn't they go after Israel? Bill, yes. Where's the other front? United States of America. That war is being waged today. Look, one out of five people today in America, maybe it's mostly the young people, but have a favorable view of Osama bin Laden. Yeah, well, that's just just gross ignorance. That's just gross ignorance. The majority of the professors of our elite universities are favorable towards Hamas. Right. I mean, look, I think that I think we cannot dismiss the moral corruption of the United States and the West. It is profound today. The university bill, which you have spent so much of your career trying to improve, correct, you know, fix, has just shown itself to be completely and utterly corrupt. And the Jew hatred coming out of American universities is evidence of that in in a very particular way and the like not change the subject at all but the plagiarism from the president of harvard university just shows what other utter intellectual frauds these people are they're liars they're cheats they're anti-semites they're bigots they're communists they have the worst possible characteristics modern man can possibly have. Those are the people teaching our children today in America. It is a wonder we are we are even around, given that moral corruption. And the only thing, the only thing that is is saving this country today, are the everyday American people who wake up every morning, put on their boots, 
go to work, fight for our military, our policemen, our firefighters, our factory workers. These are the backbone of the country today. They go to church on Sunday. They raise their family. They have very decent points of view. And without, again, being political, they're the people Donald Trump is talking to. Well, and they look at it. They look they look at their elites in this country and they see utter chaos in the Middle East. They see Chinese spy balloons flying over their country. They see a border that is wide open to maybe 10 million people over the last three years. And they cannot figure out what in the hell is going on other than that the elites in America from the universities all over this country to the White House have utter contempt for the well-being of the American people. Why do we take it? Um, I mean, uh, Brian, you were very nice to me, complimentary about universities and my, you know, my knowledge of it. But um, just a factual question. I don't think this is the case at most universities. It's the case at elite universities now. And you can say that's that that, that makes it more important because it will trickle down. I remember an interview I did with Charles Koch, you know, the Koch brothers. And he said, I don't hire, you know, these Ivy League guys. He said, I hire, you know, guys from Northeast Oklahoma State, you know, Nebraska Western. Uh, and, um, you know, most of these universities, most of these faculties probably okay. They're certainly not marching in the streets like they are at Harvard and Columbia. Is that a fair point? No. Why? I think the level of, look, I've learned this from you. Academia is a club. And all these people who are teaching in American universities from your, from your elite universities down to your junior colleges. So obviously including all the state schools, they all got their PhDs where in all of these universities by leftist faculty members who approved their course of study, who approved their PhDs, and who forced them to toe the ideological line. And that is true of all these university professors today. Now, some of them may be more political than others. Some of them may teach courses that are less political than others. But the amount of anti-Americanism that has permeated the American university is near complete. And so that you have a handful of places in America where you can have, forget conservative scholars, just honest scholars, real scholars being produced. That's in a handful of places. Well, what about places like, I mean, I just want to argue this point a little bit. Uh, You know, I was watching, you know, I watch as many bowl games as I can, pointless or not. Yeah, we're missing one right now. We're missing one right now. Let me know know for the record here. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. We won't be long. Uh, But um, I was watching Texas State. You know, really, Texas State? And really, what about all these colleges throughout the Midwest and the South that are you know, ag schools and, you know, teaching people about, you know, agriculture and about, uh, you know, uh, technology and, uh, you know, how to fix things. I, 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 I just don't know. I mean, I, I, I understand the elites and the power of the elites. And, you know, I understand a lot of these professors at Northwest Oklahoma maybe got their Ph.D. at these elite universities. But um, is this a majority view uh, pro Hamas uh, among all faculty in the United States, all students in the United States. I don't think it is. Whenever you have what we're really talking about is domination and tyranny. What makes us think that in order for a young American citizen 
to succeed in this world, they need to have a university education. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah, you, well, wrote a book. you wrote a book, Bill. How many, what percentage of the university degrees had any value to the kids? Very, very small percent. I don't remember, but you wrote the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's return on investment, ROI. Yeah. Very few. Right. We have this notion. When I say we, I hate pronouns. It is often reported that you hate you, pronouns. I hate pronouns. My, my English teacher in college said, Joel, quit writing a paper with pronouns. Use proper nouns or be specific. I had no idea she was going to set me up to be misgendering people in my later life. But anyway, well, she I was going to say, if, if you don't use them, you're in pretty good shape because then you're not using proved ones. But, but, but now we're on pronouns. I hate, uh, you know, we people are criticized by the they argument. Who are they that are doing whatever? Yeah, I don't yeah. believe, I believe I believe in you, in me, in people, in individuals, individuals who have an opportunity for upward mobility. I don't know of one university that is let's, something that, that, that teaches that. Uh, there's a great philosopher, I can't remember who said it. You're supposed to teach people where to look, not what to see. If you're going to be a, a land planner and a graduate from uh, from a university graduate school, almost every one of the top 25 graduate schools are the graduate school of urban planning. Why? What's wrong with suburban yeah. planning? Rural, yeah. urban. Rural there planning, is a, yeah. Yeah. A, a diatribe of causing people to think a certain way, to see a certain thing. Individuals are left out of the educational system in the world. They're left out of the of the housing situation of the world, of the energy situation, their food supply and consumption, their health care, pharmaceutical drugs, political process. Individuals, whether it's a university education or somewhere else, is left out. And yet there's more of them who instinctively know this is really bad. Okay. All right. I still think there's a there's a ballast. Um if you take all the universities, all the places that uh, teach rural agronomy and business and, you know, business is the most popular major. It's not Marxism. Um, what kind of what are they taught? <laughs> Supply chain, efficiency, aggregation, public companies, investment throughout the world. The world investment is going to somehow cause everyone to stop fighting. Borders are irrelevant. Let's just trade with one another. Yeah, it's very much a global. It's very much a globalist worldview, isn't it, Joel? That's not I mean, free market econ ec ec economics. That's I don't know, Brian. What it's is not a, it's not entrepreneurialism either. I mean, it's it's some strange mix of look. There's a there's a managerial class in this country that works in corporate America, that works on Wall Street, that works for you know companies at all sorts of levels, yeah. and it works for the U.S. government. These people all think alike. They all think alike. Yeah. And they do not believe in human freedom the way our, our forefathers did. They believe in something different. We're living I mean, right now in America. I don't, it's the end of the year. I don't mean to be pessimistic. But if anybody thinks they're living in a free country right now, they're, they're, they're I'm afraid, confused about what, it means to be, about what it means to be free. We're living in a, in, in a we have, we're being run by an oligarchy that is primarily coming out of our financial system in, in Wall Street, some out of Silicon Valley and some out of Hollywood. Those are, that's our, those are our oligarchs at one level. And we have fascism permeating our economic system at almost every level. And by fascism, I mean 
you have these public-private partnerships to do anything. The government inserts itself in nearly every business at some level and tries to regulate it to its to its benefit. And so it, things things are not in a good way right now. I was just the committee on the present danger China. Yeah. We had a web we had a webinar yesterday, and we were going over a new SEC rule that is going to be open for uh, comment, as, as they say, on January 2nd. And this new SEC rule, if you can believe it, it sounds just crazy, but I'll say it, is, is designed to create these what are called natural asset corporations. And these are going to be new funds that you're going to be able to invest in. And they're designed to buy up land and resources in America so that they will not be used. And it's designed to, uh, it's, it, it, I'm not sure if it's designed this way, but it will certainly allow China to buy up big pieces of farmland. It would allow, in theory, the Russians to come in and buy up all sorts of energy all over the country on the promise that they won't drill for oil, or in the case of China, that they won't use the land for farming. And it's going to take away from everyday Americans who need to buy homes, who need to be farmers, who need to be mm -hmm. energy producers. Yeah, It will take away from them those opportunities because the smart boys on Wall Street want to monetize this crazy Green New Deal environmentalism that is completely destroying the economy right now. And, and the, into all the ESG, all the crazy ESG stuff. This is where the country is heading under under Joe Biden. Let, let, let me let me suggest two very specific practical examples to what Brian just said. In the latter part of 2023, many of the large companies in the United States are laying off people. They are the people they are laying off are the managerial class. Um, Brian mentioned, because they've been promoted and their salaries are higher. Why are they doing that? They don't need them. And they are hiring new, younger kids. And by the way, people in their 20s and 30s know this. They're experiencing it now. The younger people they are just hiring are much lower salaries. They can get by with them. The managerial class, they're, they're, they're laying them off. This is the, the economic stress that our citizens in their 20s and 30s are experiencing. One more example. Um, public school districts, this public-private partnership Brian referred to, which is Mussolini's fascism, actually. It is school districts are, have been touting getting into the housing business because, lo and behold, teachers cannot afford on their salaries to live in the communities in which they work. No kidding. It's been going on for decades. So what happens um, school districts say we are building, quote unquote, tiny homes, 200 square foot home, 200. Think about that for a second. An apartment is seven, 800 square feet. They're building tiny homes, 200 square feet, $1,200 a month rents. And they are saying we are solving the equity problem for bringing in teachers. I do pro formas for a living. That's $6 a month rent. Normally, a, a multifamily project, you're doing pro formas at $1.80 to $2.50 rents. How does the school district get into a public-private partnership, put people in 200-square-foot boxes, which are the size of a tough shed, charge $6 rents, which is three or four times a normal rent that you pro forma if you're in the private industry, and say they are doing good? Right, will you explain $6 rent? What do you mean? What do you mean? 
200 square feet, $1,200 a month. 200 into 1,200 is $6. I see. You rent an so, apartment. You a, a so dollar, two dollar rent is a seven hundred square foot apartment. At two dollars is fourteen hundred dollars a month. Somehow they're saving humanity and and helping school teachers by tripling their rent and putting them in into a, a place to live that's the size of a tough shed. This is what Brian is talking about. We are not in a free society. We are amongst institutions that are tyrannizing and monopolizing our citizens. Uh, Brian, I have a question. Um... The uh, this SEC uh, discussion, uh, some governors have said, not in my state, not in my backyard, not here. Uh, no Chinese uh, ownership here. Will this be a case of the federal government uh, preempting and saying, you know, it, we, you know, we're 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 in charge, not you? Uh, you know, the uh, I don't think so. I think states still have a lot of power to regulate certain land use mm-hmm. and land purchases this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the danger of this SEC move to create these big funds, these big funds, they think, by the way, would be in the trillions, I mean, in the tens of trillions of dollars of value. So you can see the U.S. government wanting to sell off public lands to make a bunch of money to help fund their government programs yeah. right? and selling and, and using the public equity markets to allow China and other sovereign funds to come in and purchase America, the birthright of America, and, and to and to make sure we're not using those natural resources that we, we so in, desperately need. We have in several of our constitutional amendments, private property rights. This is not private property. This is this is a a a, a an end round an end a, end run around private property to have the federal government provide unlimited funding for foreign countries to come in and buy up and pub and, and, and make public everything Brian's talking about. We are supposed to be securing constitutionally protected private property rights. Okay. 20, 20 some treasurers, by the way, Bill, have, I mean, have gotten wind of this. And the one from Utah, whose name escapes me, uh, is a very sensible guy. And he had a big piece in the Wall Street Journal about how just how evil this was and just how danger, dangerous it was. But but the mere fact that these things are being proposed seriously and being pushed by the Black Rocks on Wall Street and these other yeah. these other big things. I mean, this is this is a sign that one more sign that you're not living in a free country and just how serious this is. And the reason I, if, if we sound at all on this call, um, I won't say pushy about this, but just concerned about this is that the conservative movement and conservative intellectuals and policymakers need to wake up to this fact that that we're not in a normal political cycle and this is not self-correcting it's not like you know we can just go through four more years of joe biden and everything will be fine in the congress will you know they'll do its thing and the pendulum will swing one way and then it'll swing back and you know, we'll get back to, you know, normal politics. We're not on that trajectory today. We're on the trajectory of losing our freedom, destroying the U.S. dollar, and destroying everything we hold dear. Those are the stakes. Bill, we just had an author write a book about how the way to solve housing in the United States is to basically build public housing similar to what the Russians did in the 50s, 60s, and yeah, yeah. We also, yeah. 
we have it. We have and and what they're they're changing um, the public policy makers that, that believe that this is a good way for people to live are changing the language. They are describing this as the value of rent. They're calling it rent has value because it provides flexibility and because it, it theoretically is less money than market value rents. Well, my example before, the reason it might theoretically be less is because in your, your your housing that you're living in is a third the size or a quarter the size of what you were previously living in. Yeah. It doesn't address the fact that yeah. local jurisdictions charge enormous fees to build this. Now, a tenement is what used to be called public housing. The word tenement comes from the medieval Latin root of of teneo, which means to to hold and to yeah. be have property held by a superior. If people believe that public housing or rental housing or having Black Rocks, uh, a Blackstone uh, Vanguard, and can't remember the other one, so own 40% of single family housing, which they're on the trajectory of doing in the United States, is a great thing and eliminate private property home ownership. That's no, no, people don't believe that's good. But the yeah. language sidious. The language is evil and it is not valuable. It is people taking domination and control over individuals. That's what Brian is saying we are losing every single day. All right. All right, gentlemen. Um, 2023 drawing to a close. This interview drawing to a close as well. Um, any... we're, we're just getting started here, Bill. Come on. Oh, yeah, I know. What's, I know. what's going on? Apologies for... Uh, uh, about pessimism. It's not that good of football. It trust me, it's not that good of football games. Clemson and somebody. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, there are other things I think people uh, need to do, want to do. But um, thank you for your interest and willingness. Are there any uh, two questions? Take either one. Are there any grounds for optimism? Twenty twenty four. Serious grounds. Grounds that we could say are realistic. Absolutely. Uh, okay. What well, the majority of the American population knows this is nuts. It's nuts. We have we have our our urban cores, which are dominated by super majorities of progressives, failing. We have office buildings failing. We have people that are choosing to go to the suburban, rural areas and exurban areas of this country who are seeking liberty and freedom. We have schools that are exposed to their failure. Their failure is, is not only academic, but it's insidiously fascist. We have economic systems where people absolutely each and every day, what, are the, what do the vast majority of Americans know? They can't afford utilities. They can't afford rent. They can't afford their mortgage. They can't afford their food. They can't afford their energy. They can't, they, they're, they're told where to drive and how to get from point A to point B. The best thing that's ever happened is nothing I or Brian or anyone else has ever said to ex to wake people up to this. The best has been Biden, progressives, fascists, and communists to just do what they're doing, and people are seeing it. And they will uh, awaken time and act. Yes. Well, I don't want. I don't want. I uh, I agree with. I agree with Joel that uh, the craziness of this time is waking a lot of people up and. I sense that a lot of Americans are really fed up with the current state of political affairs. But I, I would caution this, and I don't say this in any way to be an alarmist, but I do want the audience to appreciate 
that over the last three years, maybe 10 million people have come across our border. Yeah. 10 million. Yeah. Among those, the low end number for communist Chinese military age males, the low end number would be 100,000. That would be like 10 divisions of special forces have come across our border. Russians have come across our border. People from the Middle East, from the most radical of the Islamic countries, have come across our border. And I think you'd have to calculate that many of them see an opportunity to take down America because we have this feckless president in Joe Biden who appears to be compromised at every turn by his, you know, relations with communist China and with others. They look at America today and they see that they're not being defended by the president or by a Congress that that will defend them in, in any serious way. I think Americans today have to prepare themselves for a very dangerous 2024 and the potential for violence in American cities has never been greater. The American left saw how effective that was in 2020 in, 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 to, to intimidate everyday people. I think they're going to up that game in 2024 and engage in the kind of um, both violence and uh, destruction of American infrastructure, uh, terrorism in American cities, the potential for that, I, 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 you know, I don't know any of these things as an absolute, but I do think the potential is there in, in very serious ways and that everyday Americans need to be prepared for that. They need to make sure that they can provide for their families and they have individual civil preparedness. Do they have enough food? Do they have enough ammunition? Do they have enough water? Can they take care of themselves? Because whatever else is true, there's more of us than there are of them. Meaning there are more good free people in this country than those people who would like to destroy it. And so long as we remember there's more of us than there are of them, we can get through all this. But if we give in the, to the temptation to, to despair and to think that we cannot win this and have to turn over our freedoms to some tyrannical force, all can be lost. But I, but again, as, as dire as that sounds, I still believe fully in the goodness and love of freedom of the American people. And but do they, they will have do the, the? They will do the right thing. And do, but do they have the capacity, the handles, the um, the means whereby to do it? Well dispositioned, well intentioned, yes. But are the levers of power available to them to make the changes? That we think ought to be made. Well, I think, Bill. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think yes. And I think here's how how the vast majority of Americans can start. It's the last answer to your question. What do I do? Um, step one: know who you can rely on. And and and, and no. Step one: a know who you cannot rely on. President Biden cannot be relied on. He has just changed the language of illegal immigration to irregular migration. That's how he's viewing what Brian just said in terms of the border crisis. It's now called irregular migration. That's not intended to defend America from anything. Biden and Blinken went, went to Mexico yesterday 
and their and their key theme was that America was going to work on amnesty for all these illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. Amnesty, meaning, don't worry, get as many of them across the border. We're going to give them amnesty, and don't worry about Donald Trump saying that he's going to send all ten million back. But guess what? If Donald Trump can get elected, those ten million people who have crossed in the last three years, they're going back. However dire that may seem, however dramatic that may seem, they're going back. We're either going to be a country of law and order again and a country that defends its people first and foremost, or we're not going to be a country. Are you uh, are you optimistic about uh, Trump winning, Brian? Um, I, I believe he's never been more popular. I also believe we have not fixed our, our election system in the uh, unsecurity of the mail-in balloting process in the seven swing states has not been yeah. fixed. Yeah. And under those circumstances, another election can be stolen. So I, I am I am hoping that over the next you know six months, a lot of work is done to secure our election system. And, and where if, we start, and if it is, if it is, I think I think look, it's politics, uh, and uh, you know there'll be a political debate here. Who knows whether Joe Biden even runs again? I mean, it looks like he is, but who knows? Um, he's and, in the Caribbean right now. And where we started, you don't think there might be six or seven states that bar Trump from the ballot? Well, I mean, yes, I mean, they will certainly try. And, and can you imagine, however, what would happen if the Supreme Court did not engage in that? I mean, black letter of the law, Trump is not guilty of insurrection, black letter of the law. And so arbitrarily for any state to say he is he is guilty of insurrection without any due process, real due process, then if the court doesn't take that, then it doesn't really matter, frankly, at that point. The, yeah. At that point, you'll have a revolution. I mean, we're in the middle of a war right now. And if the court does not act, there will be a revolution because the American people will just think, OK, well, OK, th- this didn't work. We had a free country for a long time. This doesn't work. Okay. The, legit- the legitimacy of the court, though, if they don't do that, Bill, the legitimacy of the court yeah. will be absolutely yeah. gone. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I mean, it, it lost ground. In 20, like I the, think, don't you? Yeah. Just like the, legit, the the legitimacy of our elite universities. They're gone. Yeah, they're, yeah, gone. yeah it is, yeah, it is going, isn't it? it isn't it? Gone. Gone. You know people who pull their uh, applications from University of Pennsylvania? I know people who pulled their applications from many of them. I know companies who say, who've written letters to the, um, to the board of trustees of places, not even the elite. <clears throat> University of Colorado written letters to the board of trustees saying they will not hire or accept any interview from kids in certain programs offered by that university. Yeah. But by the way, Bill, by the way, Bill, if you want a piece of optimism here, there are there are these places like Hillsdale College where you could get a good education. And it's not about the elite credential. It's actually about learning something and improving yourself as a human being making yourself a better person, a more well-rounded intellectually, a more informed person, a person with better skills. We could see a resurgence of that, and we should see a resurgence of that. Teaching kids and young adults how to get through life, give them real life skills, give them real educations in math and reading and science, make them better people. Maybe we can move away from all this, all this woke nonsense 
that you get from the elite universities and as I argue from the even from some of the the minor places and actually have a have a renaissance of American education where people actually want to get a real um, a real life's education. Bill, in, in, in comments, uh, one of your earlier comments that not all universities are like this, it's the elites. There are many universities whose <clears throat> math programs are deemed racist by woke progressives. That permeates every university in the world, not just America. Yeah, I know. Not in China. I just, I, not I, in I China just... and not in Russia. Those people learn, learn math. They learn yeah. engineering. They learn science because they think they're in a war and they need to win that war. So they're taking those subjects very seriously. Well, they're certainly winning the math war. They're certainly winning the math war. All right. Last thoughts, Joe. Let's fight hard in 2024. And uh, it it will not be easy. It will be tough. It, It will, it could very well be chaotic, but I individual liberty and the opportunity that most well-thinking, reasonable people seek, uh, it will prevail. Is there a tipping point, guys? I was just wondering. Maybe a really stupid question, but we keep, uh, Brian, you know, you said there, there are more of us than them. There are more good people than not. There are more non-socialists than socialists. Is there a tipping point at the border? If we get to 20 million or 30 million or 40 million? We've reached it. Uh, well, at the point at which you can't say that anymore, what Brian said. Well, look, I mean, you look at American cities today and, you know, the mayor of New, the mayor of New York, who has a sanctuary city, has to go hat in hand to Washington, D.C. Mm. so that they can give him money to pay for all of his illegal immigrants. And there are parts of New York today that are unlivable because of this. You can't walk down the sidewalks. Uh, Chicago is a war zone. Mm-hmm. Parts of L.A. look like third world. We, yeah, we've reached it. Joel's right. We've reached well, that point. Let, 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 you know, Bill, uh, Los but Angeles. That's not, but that's Los not Angeles, all of America. Los, it's, the urban air, it's the urban areas of America. Los Angeles just passed in the last election what they called a mansion tax. It was sold to tax high-end homes, very expensive homes. The truth is the tax applies to anything any commercial building, any residential building, any kind of home. Now, the city and county of Los Angeles had people, businesses, not just people, businesses abandoning that place to work. San Francisco has office buildings being foreclosed every week. New York, Chicago, Seattle, the entire country of urban areas have office buildings that cannot be repurposed they are they are they are being foreclosed. They have no utility, no utility and no value remaining. These cities, the urban cities in the United States have reached its tipping point caused by so many of the things we've been discussing all throughout this year. They are failing. And now the discussion is by the mayors of these places. Please help us save them. Well, you know what? Most of America doesn't want to save those places. They're unsalvageable. Yeah. They're unlivable. Yeah, well that that's that's just what I meant. Most of America. I mean, I, I, again, when people say America, look at L.A., look at Chicago, look at New York. They're big, I know, and they have a lot of people. That's not by any stretch most of America. If Texas were yeah. its own country, it would be one of the top 30 GDPs in the world. Yeah, sure. 
Sure. Right. But to, to suggest that it's not most of America, it's obviously it's not most of America. But what is it? I mean, why are the Biden folks wanting to bring in 10 million people over the next three years and bring in as many next year as possible? Why do they want to do that? For what reason? Give me one good reason. And you can't find one to the extent that they they. You try to rationalize or you're trying to understand it in any way. Register as Democrats. Well, register as Democrats um, on the Vote one Democrat. hand, suppress wages of existing Americans on the other, right? Yeah. So, I mean, one argument they make is well, these Americans are getting paid too much money. We need to have these new people who will work for less money. 50% yeah. of, the, um, of the employment base is by large public companies, large, large companies, private companies, and public companies. Their objective is two things. One is to have pricing power, which means they have something to sell that no one else can sell, so somewhat a, a, a version of a monopoly. The second thing their objective is, is to have more efficiency in terms of cost, which is to have do more with fewer people at lower wages. That might be good for those 50% of large companies. It is very bad. For everyone else. Mm-hmm. And to have the current administration continually pass new laws and regulations and have the the agencies, the federal agencies support that activity by by immigration policy, whether you call it irregular migration or illegal immigration, name it whatever you want. Call it a dog, call it a cat, call it a turkey. But that policy is destroying this country. Gentlemen, thank you. Happy New Year. If you can be happy after after this conversation, Bill. No, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's uh, Americans are realistic. American people fight challenges in their lives every day. You know, serious ones, ones that bite at them and, and, and hurt them and drag them uh, down. Uh, yes, that's right. My, my money's on the American people. Yeah. So they can they can look at look at large, too. They can they can look around, see what's uh, going on. Bill, Merry, Bill and Brian, Merry Christmas. Claude, Merry Christmas. Um, and I, I, I do want to, even though we talk about Israel and Hamas extensively, I wanted to also say I'm, I'm saddened that Bethlehem was shut down for Christmas this year. Yeah, yeah. Under Muslim control. I think that's something that um, is beyond pathetically sad. I saw that picture at night, you know, with no one there, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Brian. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter, William J. Bennett, and you can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. And please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.